This summer we've been walking through a, a brief series on uh, prayer, God's priorities in our prayers. We uh, find some of God's priority f- for prayer in, in looking at biblical prayers, inspired prayers that God had his people pray and be recorded for us that they might enrich our prayer lives. And we see, uh, we see some, uh, I think, different priorities than we often exhibit in our own prayer lives. And so my hope has been as we, as we dig in to, uh, into these prayers that we would find our own prayer lives broadened and, and deepened. Often we don't know what to pray. You know, part of that, Lord, teach us to pray is, is what do we pray for? And uh, so that we get some depth and some breadth in terms of the kind of things that we can pray for beyond our own material and others' material needs to, uh, to broader spiritual and kingdom needs. We are in Ephesians this morning in chapter 3. Last week we were in chapter 1 and took a look at uh, a piece of uh, praying that Paul does in the opening chapter. And really this is the conclusion of that prayer. We're going to start in verse 14 and go through the end of the chapter. Hear then the word of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. Oh, would you make it living and true for us, for me, in our hearts, in our experience, in our lives, in our praying, in our knowing and loving and being filled Oh, come near and let your word live, that we may live. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God's priorities for our praying, letting the way he reveals praying in the Bible shape our own praying. I think it's a healthy, rich thing. And really the application is I've gone through these. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a couple of weeks, and we're in Ephesians and Paul's two prayers. Prayers here, and really as we look at all these prayers, and over the next couple times as we do that, the application is simply this, to so immerse ourselves in the prayers that are in the Scripture, to to spend enough time here opening it up and what it means, and opening up and just being in it, that that we would soak in it enough, that like a tea bag soaking in hot water, that we might be saturated that we might be infused, soaked in our hearts and our minds with a richer, deeper praying. That our prayers would taste more biblical because of the time we've seeped in biblical prayer. Next to the Lord's Prayer, this text, this prayer, this portion of prayer, and really if you combine it with chapter 1, 
is the richest prayer texts in the Bible. From chapter 1 and this one uniting them together, but this one even by itself. And this is really a continuation. Paul starts teaching in chapter 1, and the next thing you know, he's praying, and then he's worshiping, and then he's teaching again. And the next thing you know, in chapter 3, he's praying again, and then he's worshiping again here at the end. To him be all glory in Christ Jesus and forever. And then he goes back to teaching. I think that's the way our our Scripture reading and our stuff ought to be, that we ought to start with prayer and we ought to read some. We ought to be responding in prayer and reading some more and that there's this dialogue going on, this worship that infuses our time with God that is very personal and not something we're checking off a list. And so we see that as we apply this as the, as the personal, real, worshipful way that God and Paul and his people can interact in a life of prayer. Paul has been praying in the opening chapter for a spirit of revelation that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that the light would go on, that we would understand and know him better, that we would understand the hope to which we have been called in this vision of the glory of Christ on the right hand of the Father in power and glory, a power that is toward us, his people, his church. If you missed last week, go and hear Ephesians 1. But here he picks up where he left off. And he starts out again saying, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He teaches them a little bit more. And and, and here's more reason I find myself on my knees before the Father. This is the fifth time in chapters 1 to 3 that Paul has called God Father. This reinforces our first sermon out of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, pray like this, Father. Right. So we see it in Paul in these first chapters. This is the fifth time he's, he says, I bow before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays for power. I've been encouraged and reminded again and again to be praying for power. Because so often what you don't need is more information. And very little I'm about to tell you this morning is anything you don't already know. But what you need and what I need is power in the inner man to be, to live, and to experience what he's talking about. And he prays for power unashamedly. He did it in chapter 1, if you remember. He stacked up as he prayed for power. Probably every word in his vocabulary that he could think of that applied to power. And he prayed all four of them. Because when you're talking about God's power, it's like, let's wrap all that power, anything we into one ball, God's power. He prays for the power of the energy, of the strength of his might toward us who believe. And then here he repeats two of those words, praying that we would be strengthened with dunamis. Right there in verse 16, strengthened with power, dunamis, through the spirit in the inner man. Not a muscular strength. Not praying for Samson to be able to push the temple over. He prays, he prays for power, he says, through the spirit in the inner man. He's praying for spiritual power. Through his spirit, an internal work of the spirit of God so that it's a, it's a work of power, a work of strength in the inner you, in the real 
you in the secret, you in the deepest, you in, in who you really are, not the facade, not what we put out there, not our public self, but no, a work of God's Spirit in you. You would be really what he's praying for. Now, the good news for many of us is that, uh, that this is still possible for us, that though the outer man is wasting away, for some of us the strength, you know, it, it, we're not going to see that again. You know, Ed Averett knows all about this. And while the, the outer man is wasting away, there is still this potential for renewal, for strength, for power in the inner man, for spiritual growth spiritual vibrancy for this work of God to be going on at whatever age we may find ourselves. We can pray for power. Notice when Paul prays for all this power, I always think, because sometimes in the church, I think sometimes we are so enamored with, with external forms of power that we exert over each other or demonstrate to each other. You know, that you might think when Paul is praying for all this power, like he does in chapter 1, and he stacks up the words, and again here, you'd be strengthened with power. You would expect, you know, he's, he must be praying that we're going to be doing miracles to each other, like we're going to be healing each other, that, you know, that we'll all be speaking in tongues. He's probably praying for what phenomenal thing must all this power be required to accomplish and yet he doesn't pray for any of those things. He prays for a, a work in us. Right? He prays for spiritual growth, spiritual life, spiritual health. He prays for holiness and Christ-likeness. He prays that we would know God in deepening and enriching ways. Power to be inwardly overwhelmed by the reality of God's love poured out for us in Christ. Isn't that what he's praying for? The power to know God in truth, to be like Christ, to be rooted and established. Isn't that interesting? I mean, rooted is an organic word. And that established, or the second word is one that's used of laying the foundation of a building. Paul likes to do this. He mixes his metaphors that we would be rooted like a tree and established like a building, that would be rooted and established in Christ's love. That we would be transformed. Now we have to see that this prayer, and I think where it sits in the book of Ephesians, I don't know how much you know about the book of Ephesians. One of these days soon I'm going to preach the book. We'll, uh, we'll work our way through. But, but you have to see, if you haven't ever heard, you know, Ephesians is broken into two pieces. Chapters 1 to 3 is where Paul teaches them the truth. Right? He, he states the facts. He teaches them theology. And then starting in chapter 4, 4 to 6, or six chapters, nicely divided, 50-50, he starts with therefore, and then he prays for their for the very practically, he starts giving them commands and praying for their Christian walk and their life or holiness. And so there is that, you know, giving out the, uh, uh, you know, the truth of it and then praying for the reality of it in their experience in their lives in very practical, applicable ways. This prayer stands as the, as the hinge between those two. So Paul has been teaching them the facts of God's love for them and all that God has done, the indicatives of our faith, before he comes and he transitions by prayer, and he prays that we would understand chapters 1 to 3, that we would come to comprehend the love of God in such a way that we would be the people described and called for in chapters 4, 5, and 6 that 
follow. If you want to know in applying this prayer as we walk through it right now and what Paul is praying for, read chapters 4 to 6 very slowly and pray for the power of God in your inner person by His Spirit rooted and grounded in love to be everything that He's praying for in chapters 4 and 5. And six, that we would put off all bitterness, that we would forgive one another, that we would love one another, that we would protect the unity of the church, that we would, and on and on he goes as he prays for the character and the life of God's people. The prayer unfolds like a wave. Verse 16, he says, Again, that we might be granted strength and power through the Spirit and the inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is literally the whole Christian life. I don't, I don't know, however, you know, whatever other ways you summarize and define it, whatever other ways you put on it, I would say the, literally the heart of the Christian life. And if this is real and true, then it all else will flow and be real and true and rich and vibrant. That what he prays for here and what he does, that, 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 that God would be working by his spirit, by his power in the inner man so that Christ would dwell here reign here by faith and in his dwelling here that we would be rooted and grounded in his love and that we would bear the fruit of his spirit which is love joy peace and be those people there's no this is it Christ dwelling and reigning in our hearts in power permeating our hearts with the divine love he's really just repeating what Jesus has already taught which is so much of what the letters in the rest of the New Testament are, is applying and unpacking Jesus' teaching. Jesus said in 1423 that if anyone loves me, if he's rooted and grounded in, in my love and we are in this relationship and if he loves me, he will keep my commandments. He'll do Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. That amazing statement. He will come and he will dwell in our hearts through faith. The Father and the Son by the power of the Spirit. We can't miss the Trinitarian nature of all of it. The promise that the believer's heart would become God's home. Christ's home. That he would dwell here. You might ask, doesn't Christ already dwell in us? Why is Paul praying that, that we would have all this power, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith? Doesn't he already? Doesn't when, when we come to faith and put our trust in Christ, doesn't he come and take up residence in us? The answer is yes, he does. Absolutely, he does. And so that, that you are right to ask that question. When, he, when you came to faith in Christ, he poured out his spirit on you. And, and, and the spirit of Christ lives and dwells in his people, and never will he leave nor forsake you. But make no mistake about it, when he took up residence in the home of your heart, you're a fixer-upper. I'm a fixer-upper. Right? It's, it's a bit dilapidated. Right? It's a bit run down. Right? It's a bit decrepit. It's, you know, there, there is work to be done. My home is in a little disrepair when he comes in. When we bought our house 
right around the year 2000. It was already 20 years old. We've been in it for 20 years, but when we bought it, 20 years old, the carpet was original, and the, the pad underneath it was dust. You know, there was a, a hole in the linoleum in the kitchen. There was plaid, massively plaid wallpaper in the kitchen. You know, there was a striped paint job in the, be- in the bedroom. Um, maybe that's your style, Don't, I'm, I'm, but it was not mine. The moment I bought the house, it was mine. But we've slowly been making it our home. And yes, 20 years later, we're still, still working on some of the last rent. We just took the last of the wallpaper out of our bathroom. We're, we're still working to make it our home where we are comfortable the way we want it. That takes time and money. And in spiritual terms, that takes the, the life and the power of the Spirit in us over time and grace as we walk with Him, glory by glory. Right? So there is this beautiful picture. I think that He is slowly making our hearts His home. Does He live there? Yes. But He's got to take down that plaid. Right? And He's got to clean out the basement. Right? He's got to... In the Weymouth translation or, or paraphrase of this, he says, in translating, he said that Christ may settle down and be at home in your hearts through faith. Robert Munger, Boyd Munger, wrote a little pamphlet in the 1950s called My Heart, Christ's Home. If you've never read it, you should pick it up and read it. You should give it to your children because it's a beautiful metaphor, uh, beautifully written. Um, it, it's in all kinds of, it's one of those things that you can get it leather bound now. You know, it's, it's one of those things that it's just a picture of this guy who when he invites Christ, in a sense, into, the, in, into that he may dwell in our hearts through faith. And then Jesus wants a tour of the house. And as his guest and a good host, he takes him room by room. He takes him into the library. You know, this is where all the stuff that he reads and watches and digests there. And so Jesus has something to say about what he finds in, uh, in the library. And he wants to, they go to the kitchen, which is the room of appetites, you know, physical appetites. And they go into the kitchen and Jesus has something to say about, you know, that place in, in our hearts where, where we are hungry for things. And he wants to, you know, and then we take him into the living room where there's a fellowship. And, and Jesus says, I'm going to be here every morning waiting for you, you know, in, in that um, and there's this picture as he goes through, and the guy, and he comes to the door that goes to the basement, and Jesus is like, what's down there? <laughs> He's like, you don't want to go down there, you know. Jesus is like, no, no, yes, yes, I do. I would like to go down there. That that would be a place. And there's this, just this image of Jesus, in a sense, filling the house, making the house his home. And so I think this is the picture. It's not just that he would come and be there, but... That he would dwell in our hearts and reign here as king, as one who is at home in us, in every room, even the closets and the basement. That our internal world would be then being formed and shaped according to the image and the heart of Christ. It's really what Paul is saying in other language in Galatians 4.19. He says, my little children for whom again in the anguish of childbirth, a little bit of backsliding going on here. I mean, in the anguish again of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I love that image, till Christ is formed in us, till our hearts become his home. 
If you wonder what that would look like, go home and read very slowly through chapters 4 and 5 and 6 and praying for God's power to make those things real because when those things are what our souls look like in the way we are, that's when our home is, our hearts are like Christ's home. When they become, when he would be comfortable with the way we're treating each other and the way that we are behaving and the way that we're loving. Which brings us to the, really the second petition, which is the power to grasp. Right, he moves on from there. He says he prays for this power that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And you'll see this builds it so that, so that, so that, right? That he prays that, that he would fill us and grant us to be strengthened with power in his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's where he's going. Power, strength, not to go and do some phenomenal thing that everybody sees and, and know what we, but that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Once again, that our heart would be his home. Strength, he prays in verse 18, strength to comprehend. In verse 19, he says that we might know, and we're back to chapter 1 where he prays that God would give us a spirit of revelation so that we might know, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that the light would be turned on so that we can know the truth, not just in our heads, but in the deepest ways that we would have strength to comprehend in such a way that it changes everything. It requires the internal strength and light and power of the Holy Spirit to grasp what he's trying to tell us. And here it is, the dimensions, the infinite, vast dimensions of the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. Something that few of us really get. And if we did, those whom the Son has set free would be truly free to live and to dwell in this love. Now first, we need to notice in 18, he says that you'd have strength to comprehend with all the saints, not in isolation, you know, because you might hear all of this, this work in our hearts, and that's very individual, and we might start getting this very independent or or isolated kind of view of this, what's going on here. But Paul, Paul says that this experience and what this work that God does, is that we are the body of Christ, and he does it corporately. And even as he prays, that we have strength to comprehend with all the saints that this is a community project, that this is something we're doing together, even right now in this moment, that it's something that we work toward grasping and reminding of each other of and calling each other to and praying for each other time and again. F.F. Bruce says it is a vain thing for a Christian individual or group to imagine that they can better attain to the fullness of spiritual maturity if they isolate themselves. It's a community affair. Now what are the infinite dimensions as we think about this? And as I thought about it in terms of what he has said up to this point, and when he says you need to know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth, well, what are those dimensions? And most of us just think, well, it's infinite. Some would say, I think rightly so, well, it's 
this far. You know, Jesus loves you this much. I think that's right. I think that's right. But that's described in chapters 1 to 3. Because in, in 1 to 3, if you read through there, he talks about how God has loved you before the foundations of the world. And it says, in love he predestined you. Right? Blessed are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, the breadth of it, every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. How far back does it go? That we should be holy and blameless, the breadth of it again, before him. But we see it goes back, and then he says, in love he predestines us to the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So we see that it goes to eternity past, before the foundations of the world, in love he destined that we should be adopted, in love he chose us, in love before the world began. Then in chapter 2 he says this, God being rich in mercy, because of the great Love, which with he has loved us, even when we were dead, there's the depths of it, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Don't get it wrong in any other way. It's by grace you have been saved. And he raised us to the heights and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ. Why? So that in the coming ages, talk about the length of it, in the coming ages, from, from before the foundations of the world, he loved and destined us to, that in the coming ages and millennia beyond, that we would come to know the riches of his love and the depths of his grace toward us, from the depths of the grave even to seating us at the right hand in glory, the dimensions of his love, he's given them to us. Loved and chosen, destined, regenerated, raised, seated, blessed with every blessing. But you know all this. I haven't told you anything new. What you need and what I need is power. That we might comprehend the dimensions of his love. The everlasting love the love that he has given to us in Christ who would bear our own sins in his body on the cross. Oh, he's listed the facts for chapters now. But now he says, oh God, by the presence and power of your indwelling spirit and Christ who has come home into their hearts, give them power and strength together with all the saints to get it. For their hearts to be awash in an understanding of the way you have loved them from all eternity and to all eternity, with every blessing that can be given in Christ, that you've raised them already, in a sense, from the dead and seated them with Christ, and this is their destiny. Help them to know that a destiny can never be removed from them. Romans 8, Paul says, What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? What can separate us? Tribulation? If you go some trial in the future here, or some distress, some persecution, will you lose it? No. Famine, nakedness, danger, sword, any physical thing that you'll undergo? No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth which is where his love reaches to, nor anything else in case you try to sneak something in there. 
Because he made this list, but we're want to put in, you know, well, you, you didn't put in the list this, so I'm sure this will separate me. No, he says, in case you're trying to slip something in, nor anything else in all of the created order will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that he set upon you before the world was made, when he chose and destined, and the plans that he has for you. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard what he has planned for those in the ages to come. That those who are in his hands, none shall snatch them from my hands. And, and my Father who is greater than I, and he has us in his hand, none shall snatch. The love of God that is in Christ. Do you know that you cannot make progress against your sin until you trust his love for you? Until you believe that he loves you, that he's on your side, that he's for you and not against you? That he, is, that he is there, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us and to cause us to move forward. Do you know that we can't make that progress if you wake up this morning and you're not sure God loves you? You're not sure he's pleased with you? You're not sure he's on your side? He's pretty ticked off at this moment? What kind of progress are you going to make in pleasing him? Oh, my friends but for the love of God. What motivates and empowers a holy and joyful Christian life? It's not fear. It's not duty. It is not guilt. It is only the vast dimensions of the love of God for you in Christ that drives us forward. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so why does he close with the benediction that I'll give to you in one minute that he does? is to encourage you to pray, isn't it? The one who's done all of this, now to him who is able to do more. He can do more. Not just more, but he can do far more. Not just far more, but far more and abundantly than, than, than not only what you can think of, but more than you can think of that you could imagine in your wildest dreams now to him who is able because of his love according to his power that is at work in us already. That thing which he has begun, he will finish it. Unto him be glory in his church. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great love with which you have loved us. An everlasting love a covenant love that is ours in Christ. And in Christ, we are free. We are safe. We are destined. Oh, would you give us power together with all these saints to comprehend the way you've loved us. That we might be so free. So free to follow you in joy and passion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.